from the beginning, I always viewed jumping in as at jumping into the workforce as what do I want to be doing every day? I never said, oh, I want to work in tech or I want to work in pharmaceuticals or I want to work in beverages. I really was like, what do I want to do every day? Welcome to Leadership with Lisa. This is Lisa Carmen Wang, U.S. national champion and Hall of Fame gymnast turned serial entrepreneur and executive leadership coach. This is a show that dives into deeply personal stories from the world's most impactful leaders, transforming the face of business and culture as we know it. You'll learn powerful leadership lessons to help you become more passionate, purposeful, and powerful in your life. Are you ready to dive in? Let's do it. Curiosity is one of those traits that keeps us young. It reminds us that there's always more to learn. There's always more ahead of us. Oftentimes when we fall into the trap of negative thinking, external blaming, or giving up on our dreams, we do so because we let cynicism take over our perceptions rather than allowing ourselves to remain curious about the lessons that we can learn from any experience, whether positive or negative. In 1955, Albert Einstein published an article entitled, An Old Man's Advice to Youth. In it, he wrote, The important thing is not to stop questioning. Curiosity has its own reason for existence. One cannot help but be in awe when he contemplates the mysteries of eternity, of life, of the marvelous structure of reality. It is enough if one tries merely to comprehend a little more of this mystery each day. I love this focus on awe, because curiosity helps us overcome fear even more than bravery in many instances. And when you start following curiosity, it becomes an exciting adventure rather than some external pressure to achieve or fit in. So I want to urge you to let yourself follow your curiosity and remain in awe of the adventures ahead of you. Because there's no such thing as overnight success, and there's no easy route to finding your passion or discovering your life's purpose. All of these things take time, and all of these things require a consistent curiosity about all that life has to offer. Today's guest is Kara Golden. She is the founder and CEO of Hint, a U.S.-flavored water company that is valued at over $100 million. She's been named Fast Company's Most Creative People in Business, one of Fortune's most powerful women entrepreneurs, Forbes 40 over 40, and more. In this episode, you'll hear about how she found success by following her curiosity and surrounding herself with good people throughout her career. This mindset led her to becoming a manager at Time Inc., CNN, and then moving on to AOL where she built out their e-commerce and shopping business to almost a billion dollars in revenue. She took this knowledge and eventually formulated Hint to become one of the most successful and lucrative drink brands in the United States. We also talk about the evolution of identity throughout the course of her career and how important it is to integrate your curiosity and passions into your everyday work and livelihood. I hope this episode motivates you to keep following your curiosity and finding awe in all of life's adventures, even when times get tough. I'd like to welcome you, Kara Golden, to Leadership with Lisa. Thank you. Thanks for having me. First question I want to ask you is, how do you define leadership? For me, leadership is really about, you know, helping people to get from one place to the next, right? And, in a, and you know, I think about it, it doesn't matter whether it's a a sports team or a small business or a movement. It's really somebody who's actually laying out, here's what we have to do and here's how we get there. And I think also celebrating as you do make accomplishments along the way um, is also something that is just really, really key to leadership too. But I think it, it's, the more time I've spent on leadership over the years and admired lots of different people along the way uh, who I think have been good leaders and maybe looked at people that I don't think have been great leaders, right, in history, I think that 
the key thing is, you know, making, making chaos a lot more specific and so that people ultimately know where they're headed. Mm. Well, there's a lot of aspects. There is the celebration part, which I definitely want to talk about later. Um, but the first thing is really leading them from what you mentioned, like point A to point B and giving that roadmap. So let's talk about the story of Hint and what was your roadmap from getting to where you were at that point? And clearly you saw a better vision for yourself and for potential consumers. Tell us that story. Yeah, so I I was in tech prior to founding Hint and, you know, really started with my own personal story of trying to get healthy. And I had left my uh, role at AOL where I was for seven years leading their e-commerce initiative. And, uh, you know, I, I had started my family. I had thought, okay, I'm going to take a little bit of time to try and figure out exactly what I ultimately want to do. And part of that plan was also to get healthy. I had healthily gained weight along the way. And also my skin wasn't looking that great. I mean, there were lots of different issues. It wasn't just the weight issue. And for me, it was, I, I thought that if I worked out every day, and I, you know, shopped at Whole Foods, that it would just like miraculously, you know, happen. And it was only after I really started to read labels and think about what I was ultimately putting in my body that things dramatically changed. And, you know, and that even wasn't the, as I started reading labels, I was really focused initially on food versus actually what I was drinking. And, you know, nobody ever, there weren't even books at, at the time talking to me about, you know, the diet sweeteners that I was putting in my system. And so one day I just had this epiphany on, you know, this drink that I was drinking, Diet Coke in particular. And I, you know, realized that it just, like, I didn't even understand what was in it. And so when I you know, decided just as a trial, just to throw it in the garbage and see what would happen if I swapped that out for drinking tap water. I recognized that it created a dramatic change in, in my system. And, you know, in like two and a half weeks, I lost over 20 pounds. It was, you know, really, I went through a detox of resetting my body significantly. But it was only until a few months later, did I realize that like I, I felt like it was a chore to drink water every day. I was one of those people that really was drinking diet soda because I thought it was healthier, but I was doing it because I really needed more taste. And so I started slicing up fruit and throwing it in water. And that's, that's when Hint was born. So, and that was 15 years ago, actually, this past month. So pretty crazy. A while ago. Yeah. Well, I want to point out, because I think a lot of people just have this idea of wanting to start a successful business. They see all these headlines of millions of dollars in revenue. And what, what you did was something out of your specific personal need, something that you were actually struggling with. And then you started creating something in your house, you know, just squeezing the fresh fruit into your water. And you weren't doing that just because it was hip it was on trend, it could be funded by VCs. And so I think that's just a really important thing to point out for people who are considering their leadership journey and thinking about what it is that they should start or what their purpose should be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I feel like I didn't even think this was a company when I was starting. Like I actually, people would say to me, oh, that's so cool that you started this company. And I, you know, I would do a double take, like, wait, is it a company? And they're like, what are you talking about? And, you know, I really viewed it as a product. But again, I had been at, I had been at AOL. And prior to that, I was in media at CNN and at Time. And so I viewed those as companies. I didn't view like what I was doing as a company. And so, but what I did believe from the beginning and still believe today is that, you know, I had this own personal experience that I felt like there were other people having this as well. And many of them, um, I didn't know, right? But I felt like when I told people my story around diet sweeteners, they, they were like, oh, that's really interesting. And, and so it would spark this conversation about, you know, gosh, 
wow, like diet, isn't that supposed to be better for you? I just figured there was some big authority out there that was sort of tracking things that were better for you. And that's how they get, you know, labeled diet or low fat or vitamin or whatever. And um, so I felt like if I launched this and it was a good product, it tasted great, it was enjoyable, that I could lead many other people to health just as it had, you know, helped me to get healthy as well. So that was really, you know, when I look at leadership, I think it it's not always just about employees or, you know, your team or or your colleagues. It it's also it's also very much, you know, it could be your consumers as well, like leading them into um, something that just makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually had a conversation the other day with someone about uh, what comes first, the brand or the user. And a lot of people, again, think that the brand comes first. And I, and I think that there are occasions where that happens, but it seems like um, well, I, I'd love to turn the question to you in terms of how you think about that when it comes to launching companies or launching any sort of initiative. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I used to think that as well, that the brand comes first and then you like develop a brand and then you push it onto people. And, you know, and again, pushing doesn't necessarily need to be a negative term. Like it sounds like it is, but it, it it's, you know, really allowing people to kind of understand how you're thinking about things and why why they need things. I think in the case of, you know, Hint and, and other mission-driven brands, it often starts with the founder and, you know, either like something that they were trying to figure out for themselves, like I was, or maybe their family, or, you know, it, it, it solves a need, right? And so I think that very much the, the brand starts to become the story right? And the, the why. And so, you know, when I started this company 15 years ago, nobody was talking about the mission-driven brands. Like, and it was really like, wait, oh, that's really neat that you're starting this company around your own problem. And now, I mean, I look at so many others that have started or, you know, that I've looked at that have been really successful. And I think, it's such a key thing for entrepreneurial brands today that really are, you know, having that reason and having that story and then, and, and it sort of incubates for a while and then they're actually getting the brand out there. And in many cases, even naming it after the thing was kind of, you know, solving some sort of problem for them. Yeah. Do you think that the brand would be as successful as it is today if you didn't have that personal story, if you didn't infuse the personal need from which it arose from? You know, I, I think that today stories are the way that people really, really engage in terms of how they relate to something, right? Like, I think it's, I think that the challenge for consumers today is that, you know, we went through a trend particularly over, you know, the last, I don't know, 25, 30 years in particular, where it was all about a brand has to be this color. And if it's not this color, then, you know, the consumer will turn it off. And, and I think there's still some of that that goes on today, but I, I feel like it's, it's almost been gamified to some extent where it's almost overkill for the consumer. And so the story ultimately becomes the narrative that more and more consumers, you know, remember. And it's also something that is dangerous. Like people, I've had people say to me, especially from, you know, large brands that are many years older than, than we are, that how do you develop an authentic brand? And like, I, I think that, you know, if you're asking that question, then I think that that's, that again, that goes back to kind of the gamification. Like, I think it's just, it's really, it's really, as I talk to, to founders from all different segments of, of, you know, lots of different companies, it really, it's like the accidental entrepreneur, right? Where it was, again, solving this problem and then sort of telling people about how they've been thinking about it. And, and so, I don't know, I, I think that, 
it's it's something that also is um it's hard to gamify it. Like I think it's, I think the consumer's smarter than that too, that you can't just come up with some story that consumers, you know, will like and not be found out. And so when I think about like the dangers of that too, that in the case of I developed a product that is, you know, a beverage company that doesn't have sweeteners in it. If I'm running around drinking, you know, Red Bull all day long or, or vitamin water with lots of sugar in it all day long, I'll eventually get found out. And then the consumer will actually not be very excited by it because it's like, a, it's just, it's not what they believe, right? So I think it's something that I think no matter what the category is, you really have to make sure, you know, that it's really what you believe. Yeah. And if you were doing that, it would seem contradictory because your story is so tightly woven with the brand. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen it over, you know, in lots of different categories where, you know, even founders start off by solving a problem around something that they saw in, you know, a certain space. And then they're doing something total, totally counter to what the consumer has been going along with for years. And I think it's, it's just something that is, I think, that the fact that social media is out there and is just is just also something that there's more touch points for for consumers to actually follow the person too. So I feel like that's just something that is just another piece of it. Yeah. I always say that your story is your superpower. Yeah. And- it it no, totally it is. And and you know, I always run into founders who, you know, are trying to come up with a story. And I'm, I am really, really hesitant to, to advise them to ever come up with a story because I feel like if you don't already have a natural story, then you're sort of a few points behind. Yeah. And, and now it's, no one wants a made up story. No one wants you to create a story to fit a brand. As you mentioned, like today's consumer is really smart. And where I see a lot of people trip up is uh, one is the fear, right? Fear of exposing a really vulnerable or personal aspect of their story. But that's actually the thing that will help in many ways catapult their brand to a particular niche, especially if it's B2C and especially if it's, there's a niche to it, which any company needs to have in the beginning. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, and, and sometimes, you know, it's funny when you look at some stories that maybe over time they become something that you want to bury. Like in the case of Coca-Cola, I mean, Coca-Cola was actually a pharmaceutical product. I mean, it was to get people's, to stop people's pain. Right. And so you never hear like, Coca-Cola talking about that story. I mean, you can go to Atlanta and go to their headquarters and go through the tour, but there's a lot of consumers that don't really know that story. And so, you know, again, it's, I think if you have a story that is complicated like that too, that maybe, you know, that over time, maybe it's not something that you want to put out in front. Maybe the founder isn't, isn't any longer, maybe they've passed away or they're no longer with the company or whatever. I don't know. Like I, I've thought about this a lot, like for different brands, because I think it's such a, it's, it's such a challenging piece where, especially when you go into a company to maybe go in to be a CEO of a company when, and it wasn't the company that you founded. So it's no longer your story. I mean, like how much do you keep that story with the brand? And, and again, I think it, it really just goes back to, what kind of problem was it solving and what was really the purpose. And I think that those are the brands that stick ultimately. And it doesn't really matter who the founder is, was, or, you know, what happened to them. I think it's just, you know, you go back and look at so many brands and why they started them and, and, you know, iconic brands like an Estee Lauder or, I could I could go on and on about there's just there's a million of them Airbnb I mean there's there's some that are you know newer brands right Warby Parker that I think that you know they get to a certain size where I think it starts to let's start to focus on some other aspects to sort of build it but 
you can always go back to those stories, I think, as well. Yeah, and I, I think what it's referring to is, is really value-based storytelling. So mm-hmm. as you get to a certain scale, it's like, as you mentioned, it's, you know, while you'll always have the founder story, what's really important up front is establishing what are the values of the company, you know, what are the values of all the people that we're going to bring in and our customers and what do we want to instill, but that's the type of thing that lives on beyond the initial founding story. Totally. Yeah, it's, it's, that's absolutely right. So to the point of evolution, uh, one of the things that I love exploring is this concept of identity and constantly evolving identity. So we've talked a little bit about Hint as a brand and how you related to that, but you've also had a, you know, a career in media, career in tech, and then now in the consumer packaged goods. And now you have the sunscreen, the Hint sunscreen, and you're working with entrepreneurs and you're doing your own podcast. Tell me about how you've thought about identity and the evolution of yours over time. So for me in particular, or? Yeah, you as Kara. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, I've never, I, I never sat down. I always wanted to be a writer. And so I, you know, start out my career in working in publishing and I actually never made it to the editorial desk. And I ended up starting out in circulation, which in hindsight is very much about you know, the world that I live in today, which is a split between direct to consumer, we sell over 50% of our products online, and then stores, which is the traditional way that beverages are sold and the Costco's and Target's and all of the retailers, um, as well as Google offices, etc, throughout the throughout the country. So I feel like from the beginning, I always viewed jumping in as at jumping into the workforce as what do I want to be doing every day? I never said, Oh, I want to work in tech or I want to work in pharmaceuticals or I want to work in beverages. I really was like, what do I want to do every day? And so I, I always had like a purpose there and, and kind of, you know, I wanted to write because I felt like I could actually change the world through writing and get people to respond to, to, things that I, you know, was curious about and, and interested in. And then when I ended up running this, this little group within, within time that was doing airport circulation, so handling all the magazines and, and lots of stuff there, I ended up getting a phone call from CNN and they were interested in talking to me about this role because they were starting this thing called the airport channel, which today is like all the monitors and airports. And so I, um, I was like, yeah, that's really, I'm really curious about that. Like I never really thought about that, but why aren't there television monitors in airports and why can't you sell advertising and, you know, in these different is a is a first class passenger from American Airlines more value than like Southwest Airlines? Will they buy more or whatever? So it was all of like that kind of thinking that again, I really was always super interested in in kind of that whole concept. I never said, oh, it's because I'm gonna go to CNN and like, you know, and that will be a lot of fun, although it was a lot of fun. But then from there, from CNN, I really, I moved from New York to San Francisco. And that was the point where I felt like there were individuals out there that I really admired, that I thought were interesting people that I wanted to meet. And so, so Steve, Steve Jobs had started this tiny little company inside of Apple that was doing um, CD-ROM shopping. And back then, I'm totally aging myself here, but back then it was like, he was talking about like, how do we ultimately put the graphics onto a disc? Then it wouldn't matter what the internet connection was. The, the We would just tell the consumer to load up the graphics onto a computer. And I thought like, Oh, that's really interesting. Again, it's solving a problem. It's like got its own mission there and, you know, just make graphics much more interesting. And so I just reached out to this group within um, that had just, this group had just left Apple and was spinning out this company to do it. It was called Two Market. 
And again, it wasn't like, that was like my first entree into tech, but I never consciously said, oh, I want to go be in tech now. I'm like moving to Silicon Valley. It just, to me, seemed like a natural progression. And again, like a problem that I was super curious about that I thought would be really fun. And then actually AOL had invested. I ended up taking a job with um, a role within this company, going out to retailers and talking to retailers about you know, how to get their graphics onto this disc. And then AOL invested in us. And that's how I ended up getting to AOL. But it's funny, I would say like the biggest epiphany I had was after consciously deciding to take a break from AOL, because I'd been working there for seven years, I was trying to start my family, I was on an airplane constantly traveling from San Francisco to the East Coast and to Asia a little bit as well. And I felt like I had been kind of working in tech for so long that, and I really enjoyed it, but I thought, is that what I am? Right. And, and here I'd worked in media before and I'd worked in tech and people kept saying, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, I just, I don't know. Like, do I go back to media? I, I kind of like working in tech, but I thought instead where are the problems that need to be solved? And that when I started having that dialogue, you know, with myself and with lots of other people and kind of asking that question over and over again, that's when I realized that it was, it was kind of right in front of me. Like I never sat there and said, oh, I want to go start a beverage company or I want to go do something in physical product and consumer and health or whatever. But when I, but when I started doing it, I felt like I got that same happiness that I had gotten in my other roles that really excited me to go and do more. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So Yeah. Well, what I love is there's a, there's a few different themes that I'm picking up on. So one was really this curiosity, this drive based off of curiosity, based off of problems that you want to solve. And the second one was around, it seems like the, what you were what a lot of people do is that they chase external markers of success, right? Mm-hmm. Money, job titles, fame, recognition. But what you did on your journey was, was focus on this, a more of an internal drive, right? Where am I going to make the most impact? Where am I going to feel the happiest? Am I going to enjoy the culture, or the types of problems I'll be solving? And I think that's really important for people to, to think about. And it ultimately came down to this question that you pointed out, which is a question that I encourage everyone to ask, which is, who am I Mm -hmm. and what matters to me? Yeah. And I I was never, it's funny, I was never worried about a title. I was like, I, I tended to, like, if I saw organizations that seemed like they were already kind of baked, it was personally less interesting to me because I couldn't, I wanted to, I like walking into messes, like not to redo the mess, but like there's lots of things to do. I mean, I even look at like, you know, I'll walk into a room that is like, you know, I have four teenagers now and I'll like walk in there if they end up walking and I don't let them do this very often, but things are chaos. Like I can walk in and I can sort of organize things pretty quickly. Like I know how to lead, right? Like on, on that front, like I know, okay, here's what needs to get done. And so for me, if things were already kind of on their way, it was just personally less interesting. So with that, I mean, even at CNN, I mean, when I ended up taking my first job at, or my second job at, at CNN, but when I first got to CNN, it was like, I mean, this group that was focused on the, the airport channel was tiny. And I also got some access to Ted and, you know, to Ted Turner. And, and so it was like, for me, I just was like, wow, I don't know if this whole thing's going to work out or not, but it's just pretty damn cool that I can like sit there and, and think about this and learn from these people. So I, I think like the people aspect, but also if I could quickly see that there was a problem. I never thought about, I wonder if this is going to fail or I wonder, you know, instead it was like, okay, there's a lot to get done here. So I'll be, 
I'm sure I could be really useful. And I led with that instead of like trying to figure out, put too much analysis into like, oh my God, like what if I take this role and then it fails and then I'm like dust at this point. Like for me, it was just, and again, it's so much easier for me to look back on it in hindsight 2020, but it was just, it, it's, it's really, I think what I've, um, what I've really focused on over the years has been, where am I gonna be able to be most useful? And who are the people I'm gonna be working with that, are, that I think are actually gonna communicate well and, and have a motivation to actually get something done? And, you know, and I didn't care if they were remote or what their gender was or what their education was or whatever. I, I just, I wanted people who were like good to work with, who I enjoyed spending lots of hours with. Mm. And one thing again, that was really interesting, even just about that perspective, which I want to point out is that. Uh, so I talk to a lot of people that I coach around analysis paralysis and fear of failure. And a lot of times they bring up specifically those, I mean, for lack of a better word, they're excuses, right? Excuses mm -hmm. as to why not to take the leap, why not take the action, why not launch? And it's always fear of failure, fear of what other people think. It's creating all these future expectations of ways things could go wrong instead of, you know, for you, it wasn't even about how things can go right. It's just, okay, let me learn as much as I can and how can I be useful? And, oh, am I going to meet awesome people? Yeah. And, and that was truly, I mean, look, I, you know, our company has 200 people now. I interview lots of people and I, I see this all the time and I'm like, I think like the most important thing that people want to know jumping into any job is like, so what needs to get done? Like, why is there, why is there this role? And like, what do you really need the most? How will you like measure success in, in this kind of, like, I think that kind of stuff, I always, you know, I couldn't have defined it as well as I do today. Like, I think that those are the things that are most important because I think that the most interesting people that I interview for candidates too, and, you know, and other founders that I've met with have, have, if they've ever failed or they had a journey along the way and they can actually describe what went right about it. And then this is what was unexpected. This is like, it's never like, Oh, it failed. And instead, if they can actually say, yeah, we really did not anticipate X, Y, Z. We were like, we didn't realize that these components were hard. And what I also find is that, you know, the people that actually allow the journey to happen and want to be a participant in the journey, no matter where it ultimately ends up, end up being incredibly useful in their next journey because they, they'll go on to say like, okay, well, prior to that, I was doing this and here's what I learned. And so I wasn't going to make that mistake again. Instead, I was going to go and, and cut that one off of the past so that I didn't have to like see that before, see that again. And so anyway, I just think like, you're right. So many people have this fear of failure. And I actually have a book, I don't know if I told you, coming out in October um, mm -hmm. called Undaunted. And the, the book is very much about that and about, you know, the journey and allowing that to happen. And, and if you're, a lot of people have called me a risk taker over the years, and I wouldn't necessarily define myself as a risk taker. Instead, I would, I would define myself as someone who is undaunted and who is, and who is okay with taking the journey and believing mm -hmm. that I'm capable of actually getting through this and not allowing walls to get up too high to a point where I feel like I can't do something. And instead figuring out, you know, strategizing to a point where I'm, I'm moving through this journey and also being very, very aware of lots of other stuff going on. And maybe, maybe the journey doesn't end the way that you want it to end but can you actually pick up on these things along the way? And I, and, you know, I, I tell the, the story of the building of Hint, and there's other stories in there from AOL and CNN and lots of 
points along the way, but I tell it more so that my hope is that people can not only, you know, will not only pick up this book to get some business points along the way of building a company and building a company as a female entrepreneur as well, although I think it's more than that, but also thinking about if she can do this, then I, I might be able to do this too, right? Like I, I'm like, it's about being focused. It's about knowing what you're good at. It's about bringing a team together that can actually support you in the areas that, you know, I wouldn't even go as far as to say where you're weak in. I think it's that you don't enjoy doing, right? And, and where you think you can put your focus on. And so there's lots of things in this book that I think mm-hmm. a lot of people hopefully will will really enjoy and and pick up on it and uh as somebody said uh who read the book i just got my the galleys which is sort of like before your book goes to print we're we're getting the final versions and somebody read it the other day who uh who's uh not really a like he's a friend he's an acquaintance but i wanted him to read it and get his opinion he said i kept thinking along the way okay this is it they're throwing in the towel. And then I remembered that I drink your product every day. And I was like, wait, it's like there, it can't be the end. And you know, that there were just so many points along the way. And he said, I left, I ended the book basically thinking, wow, these guys, you know, have been through a lot and have seen a lot of really rough stuff in the last 15 years too. And, you know, if they can weather a storm, like, why can't I weather it in my own business? Mm -hmm. And so I'm really excited to get it out there and and hopefully get people undaunted and getting people to just stop themselves and say, okay, what can I do today? And, And let's keep moving this forward. Yeah, I'm excited to read it. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited. So, I mean, for me, I always think that there's kind of two parts to becoming a successful entrepreneur. And one is you actually start, <laughs> you actually launch. And then the second is that you keep going. And it, it's like, that's almost the main recipe. It's like, what's the thing that all successful entrepreneurs have in common is that they kept going. No matter how hard it got, they, they, they iterated, they figured, they focused on what they were good at. They, if the, it wasn't working, they found another way and they just kept finding the right resources, asking the right questions, and eventually, like, eventually it gets somewhere. Yeah, and I think, like, especially, you know, as we've been through the COVID pandemic over the last couple of months, I think there's one more thing that I've really been thinking about that successful entrepreneurs do. And, and frankly, I think it's not e- it's even people beyond, you know, entrepreneurs, but they figure out what's working. Right. And they don't like sit there and focus on still doing everything. Right. Because I think that that's the, that is such a key thing about successful business people, whether you're a startup or whether, you know, you're a little bit larger company, it's like you really focus on what's working. And if you don't have the ability to do that in your business and really like, I I think it's the same for yourself, like what's working for you, right? Things aren't working for you in your diet, right? You've got to, you know, the people that ultimately are successful and ultimately getting healthy are the ones that say time out, right? Like what is working here? Let's look at all the warts and all and try and like figure this thing out and then restart it. And business is no different. Like it's like figure out you know, in our case, I mean, we knew that the the offices of the Googles and the Facebooks were all, everybody was going to be working from home. And, and so, you know, we were not sitting there like a lot of other companies saying, oh, okay, offices are going to reopen in like a minute. Instead, we were like, zero it out through the end of the year. And people, you know, were saying like, wait, come on, it's not going to close till the end of the year. And we said, Let's just pretend that business doesn't exist anymore. And it was a nice chunk of our business. It wasn't the majority of our business, which is called like corporate food service. But, you know, instead we started to look at these other businesses that we had the, you know, going into stores, which again, we already had that in place. And then we had this direct to consumer business. And, and so that was really when we decided to just really figure out how do we put the gas on those businesses 
and like really make them big. And so I think that it's just the, the entrepreneurs that I have talked to and, and the ones that have really are going to come out of this okay or better are the ones that really figured out that business wasn't, wasn't working for me or wasn't going to be happen, happening going forward. If you have a business that, you know, is a startup, for example, and you don't know what ultimately is going to happen, I think like that's the biggest question that you've got to ask yourself. Like, what is it about your business that that's, you know, working? And then I also think that great entrepreneurs too are the ones that, are and and I think this is true for business leaders as well but they they are okay with waiting they're not in a hurry right that they to some extent you have to be able to say it's okay if I'm not for example going to be able to do events um, I was talking to one entrepreneur who just started his company and he was really dependent on events and I said well what else can you be doing he was like well nothing and I'm like well I mean, that's what, that's what entrepreneurs, that's what being an entrepreneur is all about. You have to be able to be doing something, right? That's going to get some traction that will help you learn. Can you change your model a little bit to go in a little bit other direction? Like what had you guys been thinking about before, before going into like the event space? And so then we talked a little bit more about that and he's like, oh, this is really interesting. I mean, let's, Let's start to look at that. And maybe that's not going to be as big of a business, but maybe it's like a dependable business. So if there is another pandemic, you know, that, that this will be something that, that I can be focused on. So anyway, that, that's my two cents. <laughs> a few things I extract from there is one, you can't be everything to everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think this whole evolution process, which is in many ways, it's like defining your identity or brand as an individual human being and also as a business leader is an understanding that you can't know what you want until you figure out what you don't want. Mm -hmm. Part of that process is through trying out different things, not being too attached to one singular idea as the end all be all and really having the ability and the patience to know like, Hey, it is a process. It's, I'm not going to strike gold the first time. Totally. Yeah. And it, it really, I think that that's true that you just have to, you have to be able to just take a good look at not only yourself, but also, you know, the business. And again, if you want to succeed and you want to move forward, I think like that's the most important thing. Yeah. What would you say that your top three values are today as a human being? I think being true to myself, you know, and, and sort of doing what I want to do every day. I don't think I've ever been really good at sort of faking, like wanting to do something. I just, and I think like that's something that I you know, see more and more as I, as I grow up, that is really like a, such an important thing. And I think there's so many things to do. And that I think people, you really do need to, like, I think so often people get on this treadmill that they think like, oh, I've got to work at the right place or go to the right school or do whatever. And at the end of the day, it's really about doing what you ultimately want to be doing because that's when you're going to do the best work. And then I think that leads to number two, which is, which is kind people. I mean, I, I don't do nasty people. I don't want to have a personal relationship, business relationship. I very much about like dealing with people that also believe in being kind and helping and, you know, when, when they can, I think that that's like a, such a, big plus for me. And, and I reciprocate, I think that back as well. And then I think also I value curiosity too. I mean, we talked about that a little while ago, but I think that, you know, one thing that I always share with my team and, and hiring people is that, you know, I used to say to, to, people in our team, when they were hiring people, I'm like, are they better than you? And they would be like, what do you mean? Why am I hiring somebody that's better than me? And I'm like, because we want you to stay like over time. Like I always, I'm a huge believer that you hire people that have 
they might not ultimately better be better than you and more experienced than you, but they bring something new to the table that is going to help you to learn and satisfy your curiosity. Because I think like that's the biggest problem with people burning out is that if you're doing the same thing time after time and you're just not satisfying this curiosity, then I think ultimately that's where it just starts to get old and you get grumpy and you don't like the company anymore. And, and I think keep that in your life. And that's another piece of this that is just, you know, super, super powerful and, and important to value. Awesome. So kindness, curiosity, and authenticity. Yep. <laughs> and one thing I do want to touch upon is, you know, you are a powerful leader and you're also a woman and a powerful woman who has four kids. Um, and you, you're, you've built this hundred million plus dollar company. Um, we have a, a lot of female leaders who tune into this, who are very ambitious. Tell us about what it's been like being there as a mother, being there as a wife, being there as a business leader, as a boss to so many people, um, and what have been the biggest challenges and how have you really mentally overcome that and made decisions about priorities? I think, again, it goes back to doing what you love and doing where I've always been learning every single day. Like I'm constantly, you know, reading or picking up the phone and wanting to really be improving along the way and including improving my company, improving the beverage industry, being a health warrior, like, and, and I think for me, trying to help raise children in that too, they, that spills over. I may not bring it to the dinner table every single night, although sometimes I do, and they're just learning. And now they're in high school and college. And so They've picked up on a lot of these pieces and I'm sure they'll end up bringing them in when they have to sort of cite like examples of something. Again, they're not necessarily working in the company, although a couple of my kids are working as interns this summer again. And so they, you know, they learn, but they also, I think, learn, they see their mom doing something that she enjoys, that she feels like she can add value to, that she's satisfying her curiosity. She's constantly moving things forward and building on it. And, you know, they've been, I mean, this is what we've done practically their whole life. So they, they just assume like, it's just, you know, and they like the product too. Like they drink it and they're happy about it. And I think it's fun to watch them like leave the house and then come back a few months later from university and be able to recognize that they'll go somebody someplace totally different and they'll be like oh my god like I ran into these people in my dorm that are obsessed with your product and your podcast and whatever and I'm like my mom like it's like crazy so so I think lead with doing something that you really love because I think if you're not doing something that you love your kids will pick up on that right and you know, I don't know. I mean, it's funny. People always ask me, was it harder to raise money as a female entrepreneur? And I've never been a man. So I don't know, right? Like I'm, and I mean that, gen, you know, genuinely, like I, I don't, I, like, I think there's certain things that to run a business is just really hard, right? And I think, and it varies by people, but whether it's fundraising or marketing or, you know, whatever it is, product development or whatever, I've never looked at it. I, I'm sure that it's hard, you know, but I've, I've never, I, I, I'm also a huge believer, which is another thing that I touch on in my book that it, you know, it kind of goes back to how badly do you want to build this thing? Right. And I think so often when we focus on anything in life that is, hard for us or we don't believe we can do it, the first stop is to actually get rid of that mindset, right? I mean, I was a competitive gymnast growing up when I was a kid. And, you know, after a while, I like, I always wanted to be an all, all around gymnast. And I was pretty good at bars and I was pretty good at vault, but I was never a dancer. Like I could never do floor exercise. And to me, I, what I recognized is instead I wanted to be on the team that had really great people who actually could do floor, 
right? And instead I sat there and like watched them in total admiration. Like, how do you do that? You know? And I, I think like the value, I mean, that's a whole other podcast, like the value of being around people and appreciating people where they can do things because they're passionate about it that you can't do and vice versa. That's also how you become a leader that recognizes the need for teams, right? Mm -hmm. When you like sort of come to terms with the idea that you, you may not be able to do everything. You may not be the best at everything, but you can surround yourself with people that can ultimately do that kind of stuff. And I think that's just such a critical piece of it as well. Yeah. Well, I wish we had, there's so much more to cover there because I was a gymnast for 10 years on the- Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's um, so cool. So you yeah. get it. Yeah. And the values yeah. of teams and they're, you know, I think well, it's, it's an important and, piece. And the, how badly do you want it? And I think that, you know, it's one thing that came up for me as you were talking about, you know, just integrating your kids and your family into what you're doing is that passion is genderless. Mm -hmm. And the question that I get often um, when people meet me is like, what are your hobbies? Yeah. And, and I have a very hard time answering this question because I'm like, well, I'm working all the time. But the thing is, it's not work in the traditional sense because the, and people are like, well, if you don't have hobbies and like, are you a workaholic? I was like, no, it's just my, the things that I love doing, which is writing, reading, talking to interesting people, building things, coming up with ideas, like creating impact for people. I have worked really, really hard to integrate the things that would be hobbies into my yeah. work every day. And so, yeah, but it's, I don't have side hobbies like just cause, because I don't like what I'm doing in a nine to five, but it's that my whole life is my passion and my hobby, I guess, if you want to call that. And that sort of authenticity and purpose and passion is contagious to anyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, you know, you've got this podcast too, where you're meeting people, you're satisfying your curiosity, you're learning, like you're picking up on things like along the way. And, you know, and I think like, that's, that's the thing. I think so often the people that ask those questions are ultimately trying to figure it out as well. Right. That's another thing that I've learned along the way that it's, that it's, they're not necessarily being critical of you. They're actually trying to figure out the equation themselves, right? And I, I think that's the, that's the key thing that you just keep going and you keep figuring out like what's working for you and what's working for you might not be working, what would work for other people too. But I don't think there's any clear definition, definition along the way. And, and also, by the way, hobbies change too. Like, I mean, I no longer do gymnastics. I used to be a huge runner. I now like I hike a lot. Like I love nature and I love trails. Like for me, I just, I, I just get energy from being on different trails too. Like, and, and so for me, it's less about the actual act of, of what my hobby is versus like where I've gone like, and travel and things like that. Like for me is like, people would be like, oh, travel's a hobby. And I'm like, oh yeah. For me, it's just energy. I'm, I'm like so happy exploring things that I've never seen, where I see different cultures, where I, like for me, that's just like, it's just, it's a brain hobby. Like it's just, it's experiences and things like that. So I, I actually asked someone the question back. I was like, is thinking a hobby? Cause I, I do that a lot. <laughs> yeah. And reading and like taking yourself to some other place. And so, yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to be riding a bike or sailing or anything like that. That's what I've also learned over time. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, two more questions for you. So one, yeah. what is one book that has impacted your life that you would recommend to our readers about becoming a better leader? About becoming a better leader. You know, I actually just read this book. Actually, I've read a bunch of bunch of books lately as my new book is coming out. But have you seen this book, The Beautiful No? 
Uh, I haven't, but I do subscribe to a mantra of fuck yes or no. Yeah. So, um, so Sherry Salata was actually Oprah's executive producer for 20 years. And so I, I can't say that she developed all of the stories um, that Oprah ended up bringing on the show. But I, I want to say after meeting Sherry, um, I met her through some mutual friends. And anyway, the beautiful note was about her getting the job at Oprah after she had done a few other things and just decided they'd already said no to her. And then she really pushed and you know, not until she was 35 years old, she didn't get this job with Oprah. And there were a million other people who were more qualified. But again, she was so passionate about the storytelling along the way. And then after 20 years of being there, she realized that she wasn't passionate anymore. And like, she didn't want to do this anymore. And she wanted to find herself and be herself. And so, and it was learning again to sort of say no as well, which is not always easy, especially when you really like people um, mm -hmm. along the way. And so, so there's a lot of lessons in there and she's just a beautiful person too. But that's been one of my most favorite books um, just because I think so often a lot of us just get on this train, right? Where we're sort of doing the same thing day in and day out. And I think it's like just deciding at some point, I, before you get mad or sad or upset, maybe it's time for a change, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think we all experience that in different aspects of our life. So it's a, it's a small, it's a short read, um, but Sherry is, she's amazing and really made me think about a lot of stuff. Mm, awesome. And it's, again, it's the intentionality of evolving your identity and, and evaluating. Totally. Yeah, totally. And last question for all the listeners out there. Uh, what is one micro action or challenge that you would issue them of something they could do today that could help advance their career, advance their leadership journey? I think actually figuring out, do you really like what you're doing? Right. And I think it's like, or is there something else that you should be doing and it's always a it's always a tough question right i think it's like you know do you like the product or service that you're working with do you like the people that you're working with are all those kind of questions but then also is this really what you ultimately need to be doing and and like me i mean i think so many people get pigeonholed into believing like they worked in tech and this is all they're good at instead it's like are there other aspects of your life that you really enjoy? Like maybe you're a big golfer or, or you're like, or you love beauty and you love watching Instagram stuff on like beauty. And you just thought like, wow, it'd be so cool. Like, why not explore those things? Like you owe it to yourself to really figure out, is there some way to use my skills to do something that I really love? Do you love travel? Like, is that, is there a way to sort of take, your skills and bring that into something that ultimately you get up every morning and you're like, let's go. I love this. Right. And, and where you can ultimately help, you know, solve a problem, you know, cause you really just have such a passion about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and passion is something that you can't fake. Like you feel it. You, you just know, right. When you, yeah. and your friends might not have it either right? Like they may not, they, they may think that's really stupid or why are you doing that? Right. And, and I think being okay with that and finding your own identity is, is also something it's just, it's a big learning and, and what's the worst that can happen. Maybe you say, okay, so I had this crazy idea that I was going to go do this for like a year. And here's what I learned you know, that I didn't want to be working in that industry, or it was so much different than I thought, or it was exactly what I thought. Like, you'll never know until you go and try it. And I think that that is what, you know, life is about and not being so prescriptive about, you know, staying in the same place, doing the same thing day after day, because I think like, that's not what life is ultimately about. Awesome. 
Well, I loved your passion and your authenticity throughout this thank entire you. interview. And thank you again for all the work that you do and creating an incredible brand and creating impact for others as a leader. Thank you so much. Thank well, you. It was, it was great chatting with you too. And if um, I'm on social at Kara Golden, pretty much everywhere. So definitely come visit. And if you're interested in trying Hint, it's at uh, drinkhint.com or on social at Hint. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. If you're ready to level up in your career and become a more powerful and purposeful leader, head over to theglow.org forward slash leadership to join our executive leadership training program. Again, that's T-H-E-G-L-O-W dot org forward slash leadership to join today. You can find me at Lisa Carmen Wang on all social channels and lisacarmenwang.com. Never forget, you are enough. You are powerful. Now go out there and change the world.